Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Red Leaf Card, your home for Canadian soccer news and views. I'm your host, Jacob Charouk. On today's episode, we'll be talking about Canada's soccer financial situation, Toronto FC's new coach, and League One Canada expanding in the prairies. But first, here's your fixtures rundown. Canada draws with Guatemala, nil-nil. Halifax Wanderers defeats Forge FC, 2-1. Pacific FC draws with Atletico Ottawa, 2 apiece. Valor FC lost to Calvary FC, 0-2. Club of Foot Montreal lost to New York City FC, 0-1. Toronto FC lost to Real Salt Lake, 0-1. Vancouver Whitecaps lost to Sporting Kansas City, 0-3. And to talking about Canada's soccer situation of their finance, with me is Jason Whistle. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks for having me back on. So, what's happening in Canada's Soccer Association with this whole financial situation? Okay, so let's try and break this down because there there is a lot to this uh, to this story here, and it kind of needs a little bit of a little background here. So, Canada Soccer has been openly talking about filing for bankruptcy because their financial situation is not good. They are mentioning the deal that was signed with Canadian Soccer Business. So let let let's kind of paint this picture here. Canadian soccer business was uh, was created basically based on this deal that w- that requires in order to be involved with the FIFA World Cup pitch to become a host city, Canada needed to have uh, a, a professional league, right? Its own national league, hence the CPL. So what happened was Canada soccer basically sold the broadcast rights and all the money associated with the broadcast rights for the national team to Canadian soccer business. For that, Canadian soccer business has been paying them between three and four million dollars per year. The revenue that they have been getting goes directly to funding the CPL, and they also run League One as well. So in this deal, you have the creation of the CPL, a key point in securing Canada as a part host city of the upcoming World Cup in 2026. That being said, that being said, now Canada Soccer is saying that that we have all these costs that we can't cover. They're having to turn down international friendlies and international matches in some of these windows because it's going to cost them too much. You see some of the prices where it's like about $5 million just to play against a, a decent European club in some of these international windows in preparation for the World Cup. They don't have the money in order to be able to send either the men's or the women's national teams to do these. So there's no there's gonna be not enough, you know, international warm-up competitions to get the teams ready for the World Cup. And you're a host city. And you know, say what you will about the deal. But it was a necessary evil because you needed to get that league up and running. And Canada Soccer wasn't making it. Canadian Soccer Business came in, presented them an opportunity, and they took it. It's it's so kind of um, shocking with this whole drama with all this financial issue. And I think, yeah, 
you don't even have a professional league running from back in tw- even before 2018. Exactly. You just have three Canadian American teams. You might say, which usually I, sometimes I call them American teams, which they're playing in an American league, like Toronto FC, Canadian-based, Vancouver Whitecaps, Canadian-based, even Club de Foot Montreal, Canadian-based. Why are they playing in American league? Why did Canada Soccer Association decide, why would the, why would we have a Canadian professional league back then? From 2007, they didn't have a Canadian professional league. It's tough. Like, you, you think about it. You know, the media landscape at the time wasn't in the, the right state to in order to be able to develop its own league. And we saw leagues in different sports pop up in Canada over the years, over the last 20 years. And they start with good intentions, but then the finances aren't there to continue it. I look back to the very short-lived Canadian Baseball League. It started out, and you had cities almost across the country, but by the time you get to the All-Star Game, they realized that they didn't have the money to continue the rest of the season. So, in essence, what they did was the home run derby at the All-Star Game that was basically how you decided who was going to be the champion of that year because they couldn't make it to the to the end of the season. There, there was no playoffs. It was, you know, the season was dead on arrival halfway through. You know, and they tried. They did try. And they had a broadcast deal with the Score Television Network at the time. But the finances weren't there behind the scenes. And it was failure. You know, you see other... Sports trying. It's it's a ton of money to start a league from scratch, regardless of the sport, regardless of the fan base for the sport. And you can't deny that there isn't a fan base for soccer in Canada. It's there. What the CPL has provided is not just a grassroots organization that's that's helping to develop soccer talent here, but some of those players are then going on to the national team. And with League One, you have players from there working their way up to CPL, working their way up to either MLS or to the national team. You have development there that wasn't there before. You know, not everyone is Alfonso Davies. Not everyone can, you know, go play in the Bundesliga or in the Premier League or, you know, in Serie A or these these highly competitive top leagues. There's only so many spots. You know, here, now, you know, you have the CPL, you got your eight teams, you're good to go, right? You got League One, so even if you don't make one of those teams, there's more semi-pro teams there for you, and the Canadian Championship allows those teams to be in the mix, you know, against better teams. You know, MLS is expanding, so there's opportunities there, but more often than not, you have to go down to the States because Vancouver, Montreal, and Toronto can't pick every Canadian if they want to be competitive against these other cities that have international talent there. So more seats in Canada, more spots for soccer players equals more growth for the national game. The deal needed to happen. Now the parties need to sit down 
and renegotiate before you get to the end of this deal. Because when this deal initially hits that first 10-year cycle, the only person that gets to say, we're going to continue for another 10 years the way things are going is Canadian soccer business. Canada soccer has zero say in that. I think that's the scare part of this deal. Because Canadian soccer business, you see how League One is expanding. They're doing well enough, even though they had to come in and rescue York United. It's doing well enough, but that deal needs to be renegotiated if the the national teams are going to prosper. Not on a personnel level, but on a financial level and you know an opportunities level. Yeah, there's a lot of things problem with some of the negotiations with Canadian soccer business. But even, for example, for the national team, for getting the their merchandise, for example, Canadian Soccer Association, if you if you get one of their uh, jerseys, they don't even make any profit from it since they made a negotiation with Canadian soccer business. Right now, they signed a, signed a contract with Macron. And if right now, if they decided... You know what? We're gonna have Macron on on the jerseys for the national team. I think they're mo- most likely to make a, even a profit from it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But right now, it's the whole Nike thing. You're making nada, zero, from that. And that's because Canada Soccer only wanted to deal with Nike rather than CSB, who had some feelers out there, and they were getting some prospects on as far as deals go. You know. But Canada Soccer only wanted to deal with Nike. That's it. Like every single time when I see these Macron jerseys for the Canadian Canadian Premier League, they actually look good. For for example, Pacific FC, York United, all the all these jerseys that the Canadian Premier League that are doing with Macron, they do really well of representing these teams. But why Canada? does not want to do anything with Macron. I, I don't know if it's that they want to deal with anything with Macron. I, I think it's... Or or maybe it's the whole whole deal with Nike that they they did with for their uh, jersey for their national team. Maybe it's that. I, I, okay, first things first. You cannot lay this at the feet of, Char, of Charmaine Crooks, who is you know currently... You know, the head of Soccer Canada, because this deal was signed well before she even entered the fray. You it, know? It, it, it's going to be bontus. Yeah, but still, like, it's, you know, Canada Soccer needs to focus on dealing with organizations like FIFA making and taking care of the national teams, right? If you, for lack of a better term, outsource the deals, like, if they go into a proper partnership with CSB, and it becomes a hand-in-hand thing, then I think you're going to see, you know, a, a much better, you know, financial situation. You know, I I don't know. Now, now, to his credit, Mark Noonan from CSB has come out and said they're trying to find ways to help Canada soccer. Because they recognize, too, that, you know, people are going to see all the finger pointing, and they're like, we're trying. We're trying. But the thing is, you look at the deal when it was signed, right? You know, Canada Soccer was dealing with IMG. And CSB came, comes in, offers them more money. And 
helps fill the hole that FIFA requires to become a host city. At the time, 2018, that deal looks great. It but is great. It is. But once you realize that both men's and women's national teams are, you know, are doing well enough to be in competition, right, then you have to get those international matches. And, you know, you start to hear reports that, like, you know, match fixers or, you know, match agents, basically, you know, it's cost $5 million to get a match against, you know, a a top European club in the international windows leading up to the world cup. That's a ton of money, you know, not to mention you, you had stories of, you know, players and I recognize how privileged this is going to sound, but, but hear me out on this one here, right? Players having to fly coach because it's all the Canada soccer could afford as opposed to, you know, business or first class. You know, I, I get that's a minor quibble, but it just goes to show that it's not like they're saying, no, we don't, we don't want to put you out there. So we can't, we can't afford it. You saw the heritage commission come up with, you know, Christine Sinclair and other, other players talking to, you know, to, to parliament and basically explaining, you know, their side of things, you know, money for practice, money for facilities, Canada soccer. Yes. I recognize everything. Cost of everything has gone up. Right. But if you don't have the finances to do it, then you need to be open about it. You need to come out and say, we need help. We need to renegotiate this deal. We need more help. We need more sponsorships. We need more influx of cash into Canada soccer. If you want to find yourself cheering on those teams at international competitions. Yeah. There's a whole thing that if you're, if you're looking for sponsorship, like, you have Canadian t- uh, Tire, for example, that's only even Air Canada. They're only uh, fixated for women's women's uh, um, soccer that want to sponsor, that want to endorse, but they're not really fixated for the whole thing. I mean, let's be honest. The women's national team is one of the best in the world, and it's not even under question, right? No. So obviously, yeah. you know, sponsors, if they're going to put their money on something, they're going to put their money on something that has a chance to win it all. You know, And Canadian women's soccer has a chance to win it all every time. Like That team is phenomenal on, is. The, on the pitch, and they deal with a ton of crap off the pitch when it comes to these finances and the help that they get from Canada soccer based on what they can afford. And... Yes, you know, companies like Canadian Tire and CIBC, they only have so much to invest into different leagues. That's the other thing, too. And I think we talked about this on another episode when uh, we were talking about uh, expansion and CPL and the likes. Expansion requires money. And it does. You know, um, funding these teams and these organizations requires money. That money has to come from somewhere. Right. CSB in getting the broadcast money from the national teams, as well as the subscriber fees from one soccer, as well as, you know, the sponsorship money from the different teams and the, you know, different provinces at different levels. You know, there's money coming in there. They're doing their best to to financially support these teams and this league so it can exist leading up to World Cup 2026. But I'm telling you right now, if something doesn't go, if something doesn't happen with this, with either with negotiating the deal or new cash influx going into the national teams, 
you know, you wonder how much longer a league like the CPL will last past World Cup 2026 once it's no longer a FIFA requirement to become a host city. If Canada's not a host city, or at least in the talks for it, you have to wonder if this deal even happens in the first place. It's like, for uh, for example, there was a possibility that Edmonton would be to be part of the World Cup for Canada of the co-host, but it didn't. It was too much. Yeah. And, and that's, you sometimes see blowback when cities start to discuss the possibility of becoming an Olympic host city because, you know, the city puts up tons of money, millions upon millions upon millions upon millions into becoming a host city. And then the IOC comes in, runs the event, and then bails out, leaving the city with all these infrastructure costs and buildings that are no longer being used. And, like, you you go back to, I think it's the, the Sochi Olympics in Russia, you have buildings that basically, once the Olympics were gone, those buildings were left empty, barren, and deserted. You know, you have all this infrastructure put in in order to host this event. Sometimes uh, sometimes they use these Olympic uh, stadiums as soccer events. Yeah, well, absolutely. If, if you have the infrastructure there, then it's okay, right? And, you know, dependent on the Olympics, like whether it be summer or winter, and dependent on the city, like Calgary was perfect for the Winter Olympics because there were a few ski hills in Calgary for them to use, right? Sa- same thing with Vancouver. You had infrastructure already there. You had uh, BC Place where the Lions play already there. You had these facilities that you could use. And now uh, Vancouver Whitecaps play there. Exactly, right? Um, like, there's lots that benefits the city, but it costs a lot to do it. And that's taxpayer money. You know, so like if you're smart enough doing the eventing. Yeah. And it's worse, too, with the IOC, because you're not allowed to put sponsorship on the boards or on the jerseys or anything like it's IOC only at the events. Yes, the broadcasters can, you know, get some sponsorship deals with their broadcasts and whatnot. But, you know, and yes, it does benefit local business because you have an influx of international visitors coming in and experiencing the city and hotels prosper and restaurants prosper. That's great. But if you're just someone who, you know, works in an office and, you know, you, you really don't benefit at all from a major sporting event like the Olympics or like the World Cup coming in and all you get is traffic gridlock and headaches, knowing that your tax dollars are going to that and not going to the maintenance of regular infrastructure in the suburbs. So there's there's pushback there. But getting back to this, because we kind of like disappeared there for a second. Getting back to this, you had a requirement to become a host city that you have to have a professional league, a national professional league. We have that now. Once 2026 is done, what happens next? And that's one of the biggest uh, questions about this. Will will they actually make it to 2026 for it? They have to. There's zero question, right? It's a 10-year deal as well, too, signed in 2018. So 2028 rolls around, and CSB has sole discretion as to whether they're going to extend that 10-year deal. 
they're going to take a look at it, not necessarily how does it, I don't, you know, and again, this is, this is personal opinion, right? If I'm running the show, I need to take a look at a few things here, right? Is it financially viable to continue the CPL once that 10-year deal is done and once the World Cup is gone and Canada no longer is in line to be a host city for a future World Cup? Is it financially viable still to continue the CPL? I fear that if the finances aren't there, they'll be like, all right, who wants to run the CPL? Because we're out. Yeah, because uh, Canadian soccer business now basically controls uh, League One. They're, they're the ones who actually established League One Canada. Mm-hmm. And right now, they're the ones who established the um, Canadian Premier League. Who's going to run those? There's the problem, right? If 2020 rolls and, and around, it's, yeah. And it's not just that. They held to expand... League One to League One BC. Now we could t- we could talk talk about uh, the other uh, ones uh, later. That w- there's news about. They're going they're going every province mm-hmm. to expand, and, and that's their goals. Like imagine that they they expanded every single province for a semi for a semi pro league, mm-hmm. and right now and then later. It's already accomplished. You you think to you look you go to Canadian soccer business. We don't need you anymore. But who's going to financially do these things? Well, there's the thing. You know, if if 2020 rolls around and CSB decides to not extend the deal and to pack up shop, you know, leaving the CPL, you know, essentially, you know, rudderless, you know, you know, in front office there's going to be an outcry for Canada soccer to pick up the ball. Pardon the, you know, the sports button or sports analogy here, but you know, to pick up the ball and to run with it. And yeah, you'll have your broadcasters, but then it costs a lot of money to put on those, 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 those broadcasts of the CPL games and the Canadian championship. Like, and you know, one soccer does a very, very good job of uh, promoting the game and the production. And, like, the production value is great. Commentators are great, but at what cost? You know, if someone like the CBC comes in and says, we'll pick up the broadcast rights for the CPL. Or or even um, other broadcast uh, channels, like, for example, TSN, or sports now are interested, yeah. but if, if they w- would um, basically lower the price of it, that's the thing. It's all of a sudden, you know, if you have like a TSN or sports that comes in, they're they're going to want the the the, the same kind of you know, we're going to take the broadcast revenue. And, and it was, for example, they agreed for getting uh, Canadian Elite Basketball League. The Canadian Elite Basketball League is fascinating because here you have, and I'm glad you brought this up, here you have a very grassroots organization that is doing their best to, you know, put these teams in cities. And yes, there is some shuffling going around. You know, Hamilton, the Hamilton Honey Badgers are no longer the Hamilton Honey Badgers. They've changed cities. You know, they're doing their best. And, you know, CBC came in and they did pick up like a game of the week for a bit and now you're seeing games on TSN, so you know you're getting a, 
uh, a bigger sports audience as opposed to just uh, CBC. But the thing is, here's, a, again, a grassroots organization, right, that is developing the game in Canada. And that's never a bad thing. And it's not, not just that. It's the same age of the Canadian Premier League. Yeah. That, and that's something to really question how the Canadian League Basketball League runs. Keep in mind, too, this isn't the States. No, there's only so much money to go around. And there's only so many Canadian companies that are willing to put into these kind of leagues. You know, too many leagues, too many sports, and, you know, companies are going to sit there and say, well, do we support basketball? Do we support soccer? Like, where's our money best spent? You know, where has it seen the most eyes? And right now, with the CEBL on TSN, they're in front of more eyes. With the CPL, those games are on one soccer. Full stop. Yeah, if you, like right now, they've already, like one soccer is already now on the, like already on TELUS. Uh, they already made a deal with TELUS that we're going to broadcast on your channel. But they're not doing it on Rogers or Bell. They've already reported already on that. Well, TELUS has a very limited reach, too, when it comes to the provinces. You know, you're seeing more West Coast. And let's be honest, some of the best soccer crowds are, you know, in Alberta and they're in BC, especially BC. Like, you know, kudos to the Victoria fans for for how they're supporting Victoria, right? Like, it's it's great. Even for Calvary. Yeah, exactly, right? Like, yes, FC Edmonton... You know, not with us right now, but... No longer. Yeah, but there's there's more to it than that. I don't think it was the fans, per se. I think it was, it was the marketing mm-hmm. of it. But the thing is, yes, Cavalry has a decent but, team. And... But FC Edmonton, you had a history of Alfonso Davis coming from your academy. Mm-hmm. And then later, goes to Vancouver Whitecaps. I think that FC Edmonton was just marketing their academy players. Yeah. Which, all well and good, but I mean, you know, it makes sense to make that deal with TELUS given uh, the rabbit soccer fan base in Alberta and BC. Um, you know, and maybe eventually somewhere along the lines, um, Rogers and, you know, uh, and TSN or CBC picks it up on a national level. And that's the thing, too, right? That's great. Make the deal with TELUS, but you're only going to be seen in a couple provinces. Right. Maybe, you know, if we ever get a League One Maritimes kind of thing, maybe there's a deal there to be made with like East Link out in the Maritimes. But, you know, and maybe Kojiko, but or even Chorus. We talked about this before, I think before. Um, if they made a deal with Chorus and one soccer basically got streamed onto Pluto TV as a as a fast network, um, that's going to put you into in front of more eyes. And because, you know, Pluto is free and ad-supported, then, you know, there's money there and there's eyes there. And the sponsorship that that one soccer gets for their programs and their and their games and whatnot gets in front of more national eyes. That's a great thing. Then you can up your ad dollars. Like there's a lot for uh, for Canadian Primarily to... To go through. 
to to bring into popularity and even expand to broadcasting even for even even um like worldwide they they go it's all even broadcast at bt sports for example even even in fox fox sports in the united states even for example in mexico they have it i think somewhere somewhere in the in asia also they're even improving around the world where to broadcast it Mm -hmm. i mean you're not going to see them make a deal with someone like disown because of course that's another it's basically a competitor at that point right you're looking at uh, a, a subscription streaming service, which is exactly what One Soccer is right now, minus that Telus deal. But I think it's one of those things where, you know, if the deal with Telus, and I'm not quite sure about the the specifics of the deal with Telus, but if it's one of those things where, yeah, you have to be careful, right? If you make a deal with something like a Pluto TV, then what's the point of having a subscription streaming service if you can watch it on a fast service? It's, you know, there are deals to be made in order to get more eyes on the game. But none of that helps Canada soccer. It doesn't. No. So that needs to be dealt with and hopefully dealt with soon before the World Cup. Like, you've got three years. You got three years to figure this out. And because if you go into the World Cup and the national teams are still complaining about no money for international competitions in windows and they protest about this yeah exactly and then so they should so they should if you wear the flag on your shirt national colors yeah you hope that the finances are there to support you even fix it yeah no if we get to the world cup and this is still an issue it's going to dominate the storylines for Canadian soccer fans. Then it won't matter what they do on the field. I think it is most likely if you're hosting. And that's usually usually the always thing. Is Canada really a good place to host? Well, they did well they did host for the Women's uh, World Cup. Mm-hmm. What was it? 20, 2015? I can't remember. And they uh, Canada did well, but it, and yeah, just just failed. Uh, didn't make it all the way to the finals, but a good showing, nevertheless. It was a great show. It was a great show for the women's national team. Yeah, but I I think to sum it up, you know, Canada soccer needs to fix their finances and they need to fix them soon. Otherwise, it's going to be the only thing that's talked about in three years, and that's a shame because the quality of the game on the pitch. And the quality of the host city should be the topic. And, and we could talk even for for the men's, for example. You have, uh, for example, Canada's versus Guadalupe, tied at two. I would say they were supposed to win that. It was became to a draw, two goals, and now you had Canada versus Guatemala. It was scoreless. Right now they're most likely to get eliminated in their group in the group stage of the gold cup that might be that could be one of the biggest upsets for this uh gold cup and such a difference right leading up to the and 2022 they're, and, and they're world cup, yeah. cuba 
Yeah. I mean, leading up to the 2022 World Cup, they seemed unstoppable. And then all of a sudden, all these financial commitments for Canada soccer and inability to pay for certain things, that's got to weigh on the players, right? Yes, some of them are playing in very decent leagues and getting regular top-level professional competition, but not together. You need to have those competitions. You need to send those players to those competitions in the right frame of mind. You know, if, if they're sitting there worried about the hotels they're going to stay at or the plane ride to get there or the practice before the game or so much, then you can't concentrate on the game before you get there. You need to fix this or the team is going to suffer. And I think you're starting to see that with these draws against teams that before they would dominate. And that that's all, all the problems. One of that Canada has also, we could go Toronto that has problems. Now the fi- they fired Bob Bradley. And now their inter-head coach is Terry Dunfield. You had to do something. The the wheels had fallen off TFC. You had to do something. And, you know, when you see the coach intentionally benching players, when you see, and again, we're not part of the team. We're not in the locker room. We don't know exactly what goes on. But it really felt like he had lost the team. I think that it was a time for Bob Bradley to leave. It was it was a lot of drama, mm-hmm. like for with with Lorenzo Asenia, uh Bernadeschi. Like Bernadeschi was basically suspended for one match because Bob Bradley. There was a lot of drama, anger issues. Yeah, I mean, if you're not playing well, but you're you're meshing as a as a unit, then okay, you know what? Then it's a matter of just fixing the X's and O's. But the problem here really seemed to be Bob Bradley. Now, that being said, you know, bringing in Terry Dunfield, don't, don't, you can't expect that everything's going to be solved with swapping coaches right away. But I think it bears noting that Bob Bradley was never a player. Terry Dunfield was. In fact, he played for TFC. He played for TFC, and now he he's been coaching for one of the Toronto FC. Uh, yeah, with TFC Academy, the under-17 team. I mean, admittedly, right, it's the under-17, but he's a player. He was a player. And I, I've i always thought that, you know, other players respond to coaches who aren't just X's and O's guys. But they, it, they, they, they understand, you know, what goes on during that 90 minutes on the pitch. But the real problem when you have Terry Dunfield, he is a player. That was, but yes. <laughs> well, what about Greg Vanny? He was he was with the he was a head coach for Toronto FC. He won the MLS Cup. It's that que- is that really question? If someone's not a player, is there some situation? If someone is a player, it's like for example, like Mista. Who who coached for Atletico Ottawa? He didn't do a really good job with Atletico Ottawa. He didn't do he didn't fit in as well 
and Atletico Ottawa basically fell, and they had to, and basically Mista did not get a contract extension for the team, and he was replaced by Carlos Gonzalez, and he he won Coach of the Year when he stepped in, and now you have Terry Dunfield replacing Bob Bradley mm-hmm. as coach, as the. The interim head coach. Interim head coach. But I, I, I think, it really it really sums something. You have that person who's not a coach that started as a player, and you have a person who was a player. And look, like people have some that they would say, well, usually a person who has some soccer experience from the beginning has has that motive that knows everything uh, it is that quite it is always that question mark uh, okay so so terry dunfield's got his his work cut out for him here but, but let's figure out what needs to happen like first things first just but, just ignore any chance of the playoffs you know just forget it it's not happening this year terry dunfield's mission at this point has to be figuring out how to get the team to be a team again, getting them back to trusting a coach, right? Because clearly they had just gone through something with Bob Bradley and, and it did not go well. Like it became, it became about the personality as opposed to the, to the team on the pitch. Now Terry Dunfield has got to come in and he's got to repair all of that. And then he's got to repair the play on the pitch. But first, you fix the players. And I'm not saying, like, go in and start changing players. But what I'm saying is figure out what they need. Because he, as someone who was on the pitch, who won a Canadian championship in 2012, like, he, here is someone who, you know, while he didn't win the MLS Cup, wasn't with TFC at the time, but, you know, understands and can, and can relate to them. You know, if the players are saying, you know, I, you know, this is really bugging me, right? Whether it's the practice or the pitch or the turf, whatever it may be, Dunfield's probably been there and done that, or at least experienced it and knows how to go about maybe fixing those things. Those little things, you know, when you're in a spiral, whether it be um, a personal emotional spiral or a team spiraling down the standings because of accumulated little things that are bugging everybody. You need to isolate those things and deal with them one at a time. And that clearly wasn't being done by Bob Bradley. Well, at least uh, Berdeschke and Lorenzo Cine will no longer brag at anything because Bob Bradley's out. Well, there's that, right? And for the fans, you know, no, I don't condone throwing megaphones on the field, but it shows that at least... Something is being done. You know, and I think there's going to be some wiggle room. I think there's going to be a grace period for Terry Dunfield, right? Last game, you know, sure, they lost one nothing on a late strike, but... In the 90s. Yeah, exactly. But you're almost there, right? Almost. He needs to fix whatever the players need and then fix what happens in that 90 minutes. Like, like Toronto FC, my opinion... 
may maybe could have won because right now you have your some of your players that are on national duties, like for example Jonathan Osario, uh, Richie uh, Richie Liera. There's a lot of players that are on international duty. Mm-hmm. So, but they did really well to almost draw that match. But Real Salt Lake ended it with fashion in the 90th minute. I, I think that, that's a bummer for Terry Dunfield. I, it, it is, right? Not every, I mean, yes, there's, sometimes you get that new coach bump. Right where the players start to gel together. This is, I think, this is going to take some time. But I think the biggest, the biggest selling point of this is going to be what happens in the off season. If Bob Bradley was still coach at the end of the season and going into next year, and they're trying to attract players to come play for TFC, they're not. They're not. No. Now you have a chance to reset and rebuild that good coach player relationship. And make TFC a place where play, or players will want to sign. And you can get some of those, maybe get back to being in the mix for the postseason. You know, so so long as they're, I, I think the goal for this rest of this year, so long as they're competitive. You know, if you're losing one nothing on a late strike kind of thing, and it's a, it's a, it's whatever, right? But you were in the, but you're in the mix. Okay. You know, if you win, if you eke out a few games here and there, or you 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 pull, you know pile up a bunch of draws, but you're in the mix, okay. But if the players start talking positively about the TFC experience, that's going to tell you all you need to know that Terry Dunfield's the guy for the job. Right now, they're right now when he, his first time uh, coaching for Toronto C, most likely is to basically get into the flow of of it. Yeah. Because it's a fresh start. Exactly. And that's what it needs to be. A fresh start. So, you know, consider, you know, if you consider T- TFC right now at, uh, you know, at one loss for the, for this this new half season, you know, you're going to have to take a look at this as, you know, two different halves as opposed to a whole. Because, I mean, as a whole, the team is, you know, second worst in the East, fourth worst in the league, right? All, all three of your wins are coming home. You are winless on the road. You know, you need to reverse the spiral. It's just um, surprising when fans uh, applaud him when they did him, when his name calls up. Well, yeah, I mean, he, he was a red, right? He, yeah, he, he, he was. was one of their players, so the fans are going to be a bit more behind him. So we'll we'll see how long that grace period lasts. You know, if TFC can start to, you know, turn it around a little bit incrementally. Then the grace period extends. Like imagine if, for example, Danny Dicchio was for example was the head coach. There was a lot. There's a lot of players that could have been head coach. Yeah. Like for example, Danny Dicchio, and he and he's right now doing coaching in the Toronto FC, FC, and even Dwayne DeRosario could have been in that situation since he has an academy. Well, I mean, the other thing too is, well, right now he's focusing on is. Uh, Jose De Rosario playing for York United. Yeah, I mean, the best players don't always necessarily make the best coaches, Which right? Terry Dunfield. But the thing is, sometimes it's those play- those role players, those guys who 
understood the game and understood their role in the game at the time. And we're able to see the whole field as opposed to, you know, going back to hockey, right? You have some players who were okay. They like were Wayne good. Gretzky. Oh, Wayne Gretzky was not a good coach. Yeah. You know, he had that uh, great Wayne, Wayne Gretzky is without a doubt the greatest player ever in the NHL as a coach. However, when his sent in Arizona, not so much. Right. Or maybe usually sometimes you're really the, you're coaching, but it, Maybe it could be the players that know the know the plays, but I would say Wayne Gretzky was not a good coach. Yeah, but you see, like you know, with Rob Brendamore doing very well with the Carolina Hurricanes, and he was a Carolina Hurricane at the time when they won the Stanley Cup, right? You have Marty St. Louis, who's now behind the bench in Montreal. I mean, these were good players, you know, not Gretzky level players, but really no one is. You know, they're not even Messier level players, but. Yeah, or or Yabri Yager, but they were good players and they understood the game and how to to you know play each role in the game. And those are the guys that are gonna help their teams get to new levels. Brendan Moore's done a very good job in Carolina. Mari St. Louis now has this job ahead of him. Like he's basically right now Terry Dunville with Montreal Canadiens, right? But he- get rid of the coach. Bring in a former player, not necessarily one that was with the Habs, because, you know, St. Louis never played with the Habs, but someone with enough ice cred to get the t- the players to work together. Here, Terry Dunfield's got enough field cred to get the players to work together to try and better TFC. But there's also, for example, um, also they even fired some of the coaching staff. That's what I've heard. From that they decided, oh, we're going to fire some of the coaching staff for Toronto C and replace some of them. And they could have, for example, they were, I could have put on the list that they could have hired as head coach Bobby Smarionis. He's won right now uh, three Canadian Shields. Mm-hmm. For the Canadian Premier League, most likely to. But the thing is, serve. but but they're midstream as well in the CPL. You know, you're not going to see a coaching change like that. Mid, you know, or pull someone out of a team but, and bring them up. But but in the off season, maybe Dunfield's just the guy to help. You know, put a bandaid on the on the situation, and then in the off season, you bring in someone like that. Yeah. But but right now, but Dun, right, Dunfield is like is, he's a field medic at this point. Right, like right now, that's where I heard Bobby Smarionis signed a three-year deal. Maybe Toronto FC would try to bump in and decide. Oh, we have a better deal for you to come in and do with TFC. Yeah, no, take it's, over. I, it's it's a possibility. It's very much a possibility because I mean, like as we as we mentioned before, contracts can be renegotiated. Um, you know, you, you have to think that. To make that jump to the to TFC and to fix that situation, that's a big opportunity, right? You know, to to bump up your your coaching cred to that next professional level. Uh, and if that's the case, if that's the game plan, and Dunfield is just playing triage right now with TFC, okay, right? And maybe then Dunfield stays on as assistant or whatever the case may be. But still, you know, triage needs to happen first. Or, you know, or stem, for- stem the bleeding. Or for example, specific uh, FC's head coach, and what was it 
even, for example, former Pacific FC's uh, Ducal. Oh, there are options. Absolutely. Um, and you, you have to think, like, any any organization is going to be, you know, there's, there's a reason why the word interim is there, right? Dunfield's there for now. Now, and if TFC turns around and they start winning a few games, even if they don't make the playoffs, but they, they, they become competitive again, then yeah, you drop the interim tag. But, you know, it, right now, if Dunfield wants to continue coaching TFC, then he needs to get the players to start to win or at least not lose. You know, if he wants to stay with the organization, then he needs to triage it, stem the bleeding, and then maybe go back to the academy uh, when they bring in a new head coach. But, I mean, it remains to be seen. And we're going to see over the next few months just how good a field medic um, uh, Dunfield is. Or intercoach. Exactly. Or he might get to... Might be the right one for being a, a for a season head coach. If the players play for him, then yes, he is absolutely. When hearing the word inter, for example, the interprovincial league, League One Canada, League One Canada is now going to expand in prairies. They're go- they've already announced like uh, they've been already expanded in in Alberta, which their first season will be in 2024 and now league one prairies also league one atlantic still pending right now and league one prairies most likely their season could be in 2025 i mean you take a look at what you've got now with league one right at least going you know you got quebec 12 teams you got ontario 21 teams with the promotion relegation will be Next season, right? You got BC eight teams, right? And you know, and then Alberta, you know, will be five teams. And they're hoping to expand that for their season. Yeah, and it, you know, it, it makes sense to have a Prairies. Like you couldn't just do a League One Saskatchewan or a League One Manitoba because the populations aren't there. Just to put it into perspective here, the population of Alberta alone is four point six million. Combined, Manitoba and Saskatchewan are 2.6 million Canadians, right? So on a population scale, it makes sense to combine both Manitoba and Saskatchewan. That being said, too, you want to take a look at League One Maritimes. The um, the pro- the population of all four maritime provinces is about equal to the to what the prairies would be with Manitoba and Saskatchewan. So it makes sense to have a League One Maritimes. But that being said, if that happens and we get League One Maritimes, then you're going to get to this point where you have you know, do the math there, six different leagues. Now you have the opportunity to have these League One competitions every year where it's like, okay, if we take the top two teams in the standings, regardless of how they do in their provincial championships, but the top two teams in their standings play in a tournament, you know, where you've got like, okay, here's 12 teams. The top two teams of each league, as far as points go, play in a tournament with each other. Get an FA Cup style tournament. Like maybe you do have all of a sudden this kind of FA Cup style event in Canada with all of these teams. And, you know, because we see it with the Canadian Championships with a team like Rovers can win, albeit in the first round. But still, you know, 
those Cinderella type stories are great and they're great for the smaller communities. Like for example, TSS Rovers. Exactly. Yeah. And I brought up like the interprovincial league. It's all the all the provinces of League One, Canada, BC, Ontario, Quebec. Now they bring in Alberta. Now they're going to prairies and the Atlantic, and they're going to go for the Atlantic, which is still pending. Yeah, which it, it almost feels like a no-brainer, right? The CPL has already planted a, a flag in there. And if you remember during the pandemic, it was out in the Maritimes where they had that, that small tournament for the CPL at the time just to kind of get the ball rolling again. But, you know, if you can do that, that just shows you, A, how good can you, you know, CSB is in, in helping expand the game. Um, especially if there's enough sponsorship money to go around for all of those teams. And that's going to be the big deal. But once the provinces start competing against each other, and once the eyes get turned on to that, it's going to be great. Now, I personally love the earlier rounds of the FA Cup because you see those smaller teams build up. And, and I'm, not even, I'm not even going to just pick, you know, point out Wrexham here because Wrexham was a phenomenal story. But the thing is... Which it got promoted for the English. Yeah, but the thing is, and maybe it's because we saw a lot of it here in Canada, because, of course, you know, all hail Ryan Reynolds. But it's one of those things where people got behind this small little team because it was a Cinderella story, right? Had Rovers or Vaughn done well in the Canadian Championship beyond the first round, it would have become... A Cinderella. Everyone loves a Cinderella story. And all these smaller communities with the chance to play against each other in an FA Cup style tournament, why not? But not just that. There are you like for example, you brought in Vaughn Azuri. Vaughn Azuri actually almost beated Halifax Wanderers in twenty nineteen in the Canadian Championship. In by a final score in aggregate uh Halifax Wanderers won by away goals. Mm-hmm. So I want to bring in to League One Atlantic. Right now, they already um, decided meeting for a League One Atlantic. So right now, I'm hearing that they have the Maritimes. There's three teams being involved. One in Fredericton, uh, Fredericton. There's one in Nova Scotia. And there's one in Prince Edward Island, which is just basically just friendlies. Still, still waiting for the whole. The groundwork is clearly being laid. The thought process is there, and yeah. it takes time. It yeah. does take time, and you need to find. It would be tougher with the Maritimes too, because of course, like travel from you know island to island or island to peninsula or whatever the case may be, um, presents a bit of a challenge financially. But I think that the Maritimes are hungry enough for their own soccer league. Be it at the provincial level. Well, um, well you, at least you have a Canadian Premier League in Halifax. But consider, if you will, you know, one of the charms of the FA Cup, and I know I keep leaning on this, but hear with me here. I remember watching, like, I think it was like a third round or fourth round match or something like that in the FA Cup one year, and it was a small little club, and their their pitch was basically up against the backyards of a bunch of houses. It's like tucked into like little suburbia kind of thing, you know, and it's fine. They had done well enough. And now they're, they're hosting Tottenham 
you know, where people are looking out their back windows watching Tottenham play against their their home club. And there's just something about that. Now, you, you consider, you know, a team like Forge FC rolling into a smaller maritime club. Like, Forge FC, clearly the pinnacle of CPL over the past years, rolling into a small Prince Edward Island club and playing an FA Cup-style match against them. Like, that is fascinating fascinating and to be able to have those kind that that kind of national ability for its own homegrown cinderella story like i i don't watch soccer all the time but sign me up for that like there are previous previous times that they were versing a semi-pro team were basically league one quebec Mm -hmm. that they always versed from the start and there are Talent in League One Quebec is more, I would say, better than League One Ontario. I might be uh, wrong about this, but usually Forge FC usually gets players from Sigma. But you have a lot of players going to Forge to Forge FC and Sigma. I think the key thing to look at this is, you know, a, you know, yes, it's great these. These lesser-served provinces and regions of the country are are now starting to get uh, you know a league of their own, if you will, right? But I think the biggest thing, and, and why I'm I'm not, you know, as upset with the CSB deal as as others are, is that it's over the years it has actually created not just soccer leagues here, but but basically a national soccer ecosystem. Right, where one feeds the the next, which feeds the next, which feeds the next, which feeds the national, right? You now have ability for you know someone in a small team in a smallly pop small smallly populated city. I know "smallly" is not necessarily a word, but I'm going to take <laughs> it anyways. But a small population city, and there's a pathway there. And the minute there's a pathway for someone who's determined enough to get to the national team, you're going to see that path start to get walked more. And that's always been the thing with like, you know, why there's such a big hockey ecosystem in this country, right? Someone plays for the OJHL knowing that there have been players in the past that have made it to not just, you know, the OHL and not just the NHL, but to the Stanley Cup, the pinnacle. Or the Olympics, right? That's why kids at a young age start playing hockey because there's a dream. And others have done the same dream, walked the same path, or skated the same path, all the way to the pinnacle, to the peak of the mountain. The path has arrows on it. The path is known. Now, with a soccer ecosystem in this country, there's a path that can start to be built from those small little towns with their own homegrown team to the World Cup through the national team. There's a path. And if the expansion of League One leads to the betterment of the national team through the development of the game at the national level or at the root level, people are going to be praising the deal, the CSB deal. Yeah. Um, now we talked about the Maritimes. Uh, let's focus on the Prairies. Yeah, I mean, the thing, too, with the Prairies, right? Saskatchewan and Manitoba. Like, you, you watch a CFL game. You you watch a Rough Riders game or a Blue Bombers game. 
their fans wholeheartedly embrace their teams. Wholeheartedly, right? Teams like the Regina Pats, right? Teams like, you know, while they were there, the Manitoba Moose, right? They were they were welcomed, right? The Jets, the Winnipeg Jets, beloved. Winnipeg's a great city, right? The Prairies are right for expanding the game, right? Because you all, the key thing here is that you have cities that are kind of unrepresented or underrepresented in sport, right? When you make a team, you know, first three cities come to mind, Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, because those are the most populous. That's where, the, that's where you're going to get the most ticket buyers by simply existing. But then you start to look at the, the smaller cities as well, your Calgary's, your Hamilton's, your Quebec City, right? Your Halifax. There's population there, so there's ticket sales there. Saskatchewan and Manitoba sometimes become an afterthought, and it's based on population, and it's based on visibility. Now, you're going to have a league that covers those two provinces, a provincial league that's in part already by existing in part of a larger soccer ecosystem. You have to think that the introduction of Alberta and the Prairies leads to the expansion of the Canadian Championship. And that's going to, like, you think about it, right? If there's a team in Saskatoon and they get to host a Canadian Championship game and in walks in a TFC or a CF Montreal, right? That's a that's a that's an MLS professional team. And in TFC's case, one that has won the MLS Cup in the past, rolling in to Saskatoon or rolling in to, you know, Winnipeg, Manitoba or any of the, the other cities that will eventually have their own teams in the prairies. That, that's a big deal. Yeah. Win or lose, that's a big deal. And that's big ticket sales. And, and when I think about the League One prairies, the question, question of, of the whole, like the whole project that which teams are going to be interested. So right now, hearing Saskatchewan, usually you don't really have that much popular academy teams that you, you could find. I think some some people in Saskatchewan know some in Saskatchewan. Everyone knows um, Drew Becky and 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 the famous uh, female uh, player that plays for the women's national team. And you go to Winnipeg and you go to Manitoba. You have from USL to FC Manitoba is going to be part of part of this project for League One Prairies. Hearing from, even hearing their sources coming in from Dino Rossi in this project, Thunder Bay Chill could be in it. Thunder Bay makes sense. It's close enough. It is. It's close enough. When you think about, you know, those those Ontario Manitoba border towns, right? I mean, Ontario already at 21 teams, right? They don't need to expand anymore. Otherwise, the ecosystem becomes too big and starts to eat or starts to eat itself. So, if you put a, a city like Thunder Bay, where it's close enough to Manitoba that you could consider it close enough to the prairies, okay, that's fine. If it if it helps develop the prairie, you know, the League One prairies, do it. Absolutely, because think about it, right? Regina, Saskatoon, Winnipeg, Brandon. If you're looking for a fifth team, Thunder Bay is a good option. 
even for example, like um, League One Quebec, you heard about um, South South Ottawa United. It used to be part of part of League One Ontario. They decided, you know what, it's too far for us to travel. We're going to go with the Quebec. Yeah. You think about it, right? It's four hours driving from Ottawa to Toronto. If you're following the speed limit, sorry, sorry, but you know, <laughs> you know, it's it's across the bridge to go to Gatineau. You know, it's two hours to Montreal if you follow the speed limit. But you know, it is. It's it's from a logistics perspective, a city like Ottawa, you could you could easily see why it would be included in Quebec, especially if Ontario is already as massive as it is, as far as number of teams. You know, Quebec with twelve. You know, like you need to balance things, right? Because right now, you know, yeah, BC's got eight. You know, that's enough for a decent playoffs, right? Alberta right now is slated to have five. It's not necessarily the biggest of playoffs there. You know, it's going to be like the top two teams in the standings will play each other probably for a championship, right? Like the Prairies, if they're looking at five as well, then maybe you have like some kind of competition between Alberta and like, so the top team in Alberta and the top team in in the Prairies or the top two go into their own little playoff bracket. Um, There's a way to make it all work. And, you know, if you try to diminish the Prairies by saying, well, there's Thunder Bay in there. It's not really, well, it's close enough, right? Whatever it takes to make the ecosystem work, feed it. Yeah. And mentioning about league one, Alberta, like, you have, like, Calgary Foothills, former USL League Two, even even BTP SC from Edmonton from US and USL League Two. So so they're bringing. It's actually um surprising some some of these Canadian teams actually uh, coming back to uh, Canada for uh, for these projects. Yeah, the expansion is good. It is if. if- if it's maintained. And, and some of the Albert, Alberta teams are actually like St. Albert Impact is from the Major League Alberta, even the Edmonton Scottish for also. Yeah. The teams are and there. Ca- and Calgary, uh, Calgary, the under 21. Yeah. Which is basically for the academy for the Calgary FC. Yeah. The, the teams are there. The infrastructure is there. All you need to do is make it happen and organize it. Yeah. I, I hope I hope um, they expand more in Alberta. I hope the Prairies um, project does really well to find teams that are willing to uh, do this, and hope even the Maritimes hoping to do it, or even other other ones like, for example, the territories. Maybe I, you know, what's funny? I took a look at the the, the population of the territories, and it's not going to happen. Which I I seen there was a team in Yukon. Well, I mean, here's the thing: like, if you had a team, right, say in White Horse or Yellowknife, that was close enough to one of those leagues, like you know, you could argue. You know, with Alberta or with the Prairies, if there's a team in the southern part of the Northwest Territories that that it would be, you know, not as much of a of a problem in order for them to be able to commute to play those games, then why not? You're never going to get a League One territories, but mm-hmm. there's nothing to say that the territories don't get involved in some of these leagues. Like 
maybe uh just like a run of it like a series and decide if it could work for it maybe it might, maybe it might not no i mean there is soccer in nunavut there is it's just not at that level i mean you could in in theory have a nunavut team in the prairies if you wanted to it just needs to be viable for that team to come down. Sorry about that. I didn't... Yeah, the Nunavut Soccer Association. So yeah, they like for example, even in Yukon and uh, Northwest, each pro- even each province and territory has a association. Oh, absolutely. It's yeah, like I said, you're never going to get a League One solely for the territories, but the path is there for them to join BC or Alberta, or the Prairies, if it's close enough and makes sense. But does Dino Rossi have the guts to actually make that project? I don't think it's about guts. I think I think it's more, in all honesty, I think it's more about... Um, These associations. Not even the associations. Is the population there to buy tickets to support a team? And that's kind of what it boils down to, right? You could put a soccer team wherever you want, but if no one goes to pay to see them, then there's nothing paying those players. There's nothing paying, you know, the ability to play there. Or even the prize money. Exactly. Right. You know, if your whole financial ecosystem is based on winning the championship in the first year, that's a bad business model, right? You have to treat these teams like business. And if, you know, the customer base isn't there, the business is going to fail. Or even, um, for example, Newfoundland Labrador. Could that be it? Oh, it, that could absolutely be, especially because it's, it's connected by land to Quebec, right? So you are going to have people in very eastern Quebec going over to, to watch games. Like, there is that possibility. Or maybe they could have their own League One Newfoundland Labrador. No, the population's not there for their own league. You have, Or to- maybe they could... Or maybe, All part of the or maybe League One Atlantic. Yeah, exactly. League One Atlantic or League One Maritimes, whatever you want to call it, put those four provinces, Newfoundland, Labrador, uh, New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island, and Nova Scotia, group them all together as as like the, the easternmost wing of the League One Canada ecosystem. And that is, that's full time on this episode of the Red League card. I'm Jacob Cheru, subbing out.